0: Welcome to Living Hope Church. We are glad you have joined us uh, this morning. Uh, if you are children in kindergarten through third grade and are going out to children's church, you can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. If you have kids that are staying here, there are activities on that back table. They are free to take to their seat. Uh, there's also a sermon uh, notes designed for your kids that goes along with the sermon that they can grab uh, and come bring it to me afterwards and all the piece of candy for them. I love that last uh, song that... That line, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the, glor- the light of his glory and grace. I think that's one of my favorite lines uh, in the hymn book, and just uh, so kind of apropos to what we've been studying in the Exodus, that if we turn uh, our eyes to Jesus, the things of this world grow dim. So uh, if you weren't with us last week, we took a break from our series on the Exodus to celebrate Father's Day and to look at who our Heavenly Father is and who we are in him. Uh, it just didn't seem right to cele- celebrate uh, Father's Day with plagues of hail, locust, and darkness. So uh, we celebrated fathers instead. But that's what we pick up today in Exodus chapter 9, if you'd like to head that direction. We've already spent two Sundays looking at the plagues and what it is God is trying to reveal in Pharaoh's life, in the Egyptians' life, and in the lives of the Hebrews. And within that, we are seeing what it is that God desires to reveal in our lives as well. So before we hop in, let me highlight a few foundational truths we have to know when studying the plagues. We've gone, gone over this in more in depth in the first two sermons. If you'd like to go back and listen to those, you can on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. But let me highlight uh, those foundational truths today. So the first thing we have to recognize is that the plagues come in response to Pharaoh's question in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. At that point, God had instructed Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and ask for three days for his people uh, to go to the wilderness and worship the Lord. Pharaoh's response to this request is this question, and it's a really, a, a really good question that we all have to answer. Pharaoh says to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And that's a question we all have to answer, and that's the question God is answering for Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the Egyptians believed there were hundreds of gods, including Pharaoh himself. They had no problem believing that the Israelites, who were their slaves, would have their own God. Their problem arose when the Israelites' God claimed to have authority over Pharaoh and over the Egyptians. And their problem came when Pharaoh was asked to submit or or follow after the Lord. And the reality is our hearts and our culture respond in the same way. For the most part, we don't have a problem believing there is a God, that there is a creator. But we as a culture and we as individuals have a real problem when we are told that there is a God and he is the only source of truth. He is the only way to heaven. He has authority over our lives and our world and that we are called to submit and follow him. We have no problem with the idea that there is a God, but we have a real problem when we are asked to repent, to surrender and to follow after him. And this comes from the fact that our culture, in many ways, is like the Egyptian culture. While we don't bow before statues and man-made images, we all have idols or things that we believe will bring us happiness, contentment, hope, and peace apart from God. We all have good things in our lives that we have made God things, believing that they are our primary source of happiness as opposed to God. In addition to that, we live in what sociologists call a post-truth culture. Meaning in our culture, truth is determined less by objective facts and more by personal feelings, opinions, and experiences. In our culture, the individual, each of us on our own, determine our own truth. And when we become the source of truth, we become the God of our own lives. Everything is about me and what I believe, feel, and experience. We might not say it, but we, like Pharaoh, begin to believe ourselves God. Ourselves masters of our own fate and our own eternal destiny. And this creeps into all of our lives because we hear it everywhere in our culture. And so when God steps into our lives and he says, follow me, we, like Pharaoh, are offended and turned off by this call to repent, surrender, and follow after him. And so that's the foundation for the plagues. And what God is doing with the plagues is he, in his mercy, is stepping into Pharaoh's life. And he is answering the question, who is the Lord By revealing his power, his greatness, his goodness, and in that the false nature of Pharaoh's gods. And in the same way as we read this and as we reflect on similar disappointments and hurts in our own lives, we see God in our lives exposing the false idols, the false pursuits, the false securities of our lives and our world as well. God in his mercy is revealing the false things of this world. And he's calling Pharaoh and he's calling you and I to repent. And follow after him. So, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 9 and 10 this week. But before we get there, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are great and that you are mighty and that you are worthy to be trusted and followed. God, we thank you that you are greater than the things and the pursuits of this world. God, we thank you that in you our future is secure. God, we thank you that in you your promises are yes. God, we thank you that because of your character, you can be trusted and followed. God, would you speak to us today? Lord, would you reveal in our lives those areas where we are uh, chasing the pursuits of man as opposed to you? And God, would you give us the courage to repent and turn and follow after you? God, we love you. Uh, We praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump in. We're in Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13, and we're going to get plague number 7. All right, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So again here we see the purpose, the heart behind the plagues. These plagues are not merely vengeance, but they are God in his mercy revealing himself as the one true God to Pharaoh, to the people of Egypt, and to us today. If God is indeed the only true God, if he is indeed the only way to heaven, then it is grace For him to reveal himself to the people and to us. And then look at verse 16. This is not just so that Pharaoh would know who God is, but so that the whole earth might know who he is. God desires for all people, all nations to know and follow after him. Even here in the book of Exodus, we are seeing that God is a God of the nations. And he is using this opportunity to proclaim his greatness to the world. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 8, the Israelites encounter the Philistines some 400 years after this. And the Philistines still talked about the Israelites' God and His power in the plagues. Throughout the Exodus story and the journey to the Promised Land, the reputation of God as illustrated in the plagues is going to precede the Israelite people. God used this time not just to reveal Himself as true and as powerful as Almighty to the Egyptians, but He is using this time to proclaim Himself. In his glory to the world. Verse 17. Uh, you still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter. Because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the fields and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. So here, God in His grace tells Pharaoh and the Egyptians, what's going to happen? Hail is coming, so you better get your livestock into the barn. And it says, those that feared the Lord did just that, and they were spared. We've seen six unprecedented plagues, six unexplainable plagues apart from God, whose heart at this point is so hard that they would not at least make the effort to move the livestock to cover. The reality is we do the same thing. We read God's direction. We hear his warnings. We see his hand. We feel the the natural disastrous outcomes of our decisions, and yet we still go our own way instead of surrendering and trusting that God's ways are better. And here in verse 20, we see that there were some in the nation of Egypt that had softened their heart and had trusted God, and they moved their livestock. These were likely the same Egyptians that would join the Exodus and leave the land to follow after God. God is revealing himself, and some are learning to trust and follow after him. That's the same decision we all have to make as God reveals his nature in our lives. Verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything that's growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. What a terrible plague. And what an obvious demonstration that there is a God, and he is creator, and he is in control. This awful storm was like nothing seen before, and yet God had the power to not only create the storm, but he had the power to control it, as he protected the land of Goshen, where his people were. He is clearly revealing himself as God, as creator, as protector, as Lord. And if you're keeping track and are interested in this stuff, this plague was directed at several Egyptian gods, but the most notable among them was one named Nut, who was the sky goddess. But God is revealing himself as the God of the world that creates the storm. But not only that, he has the power to control it and tell it where to go. God is greater. Verse 27, let's see Pharaoh's response to this plague. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. So as you read Pharaoh's response, you couldn't write a better prayer of repentance. He says, I have sinned. He says, the Lord is right, and I and my people are wrong. Pharaoh says all of the right words. Or are we going to see, will his heart be genuine? That is the question, and that is the question for us. A prayer, the right words don't save us, but it's a surrendered heart that desires to repent and follow after God that saves. Verse 29, let's see. Moses replied, I have gone out of the city. When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. So Moses sees right through Pharaoh's words and he doesn't believe that his heart has changed. He recognized that Pharaoh is grieved by the consequences of his sin, but not the sin itself. Pharaoh is upset by the plagues, by the hail, but not that he has sinned against a holy and perfect God. Pharaoh desires for the plagues to stop. He desires for God to leave him alone as opposed to being grieved by his sin. Submitting to God's authority and desiring to follow after him in his ways. And so as you think about your life, are you grieved and hurt by the consequences of your sin? Or do you desire to follow after God? Do you play games? Do you come to church in an effort to appease God? Or because you desire to follow after him? Pharaoh's desire is he wants to be left alone. He wants to live life his own way as opposed to desiring God. In all of his glory. So that's a question. Are we grieved by the consequences of our sin, or are we grieved by our sin? And do we desire to follow God? Verse 31. The flax and barley were destroyed, since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. So when the plague stopped, Pharaoh's true heart was revealed. Hardening our hearts against God is sin. Failing to repent when God graciously answers our plea is to ignore his mercy and to sin again. The consequence stopped and Pharaoh turned from God. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, God's desire is that through this, the generation, generations and the nations will know that he alone is God. And then we talked about it two weeks ago, but but in hardening Pharaoh's heart, God is allowing him to have what he desired, uh, what he desired sinfully, a hard heart. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in the land until now. And then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? He gets to the heart of the matter. God warns Pharaoh to humble himself or the worst plague of locusts ever seen will come upon Egypt. And what we see is that it was pride that was at the heart of Pharaoh's problem. He simply did not want to give into or follow God. And so often it is our pride, our desire for control, our desire to be masters of our own fate that stops us from humbling ourselves and following God. Verse 7, Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be, in a, be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh's own officials and advisors who in 934 harden their hearts to God are recognizing and relenting of their pride. They're ready to just let the people go to follow God's request and they are recognizing the obvious that God is greater and better than their God's. He is better than their idols and better than their ways. But Pharaoh's heart remains hard. Verse 8. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh here, again, he wants to bargain. He wants to bargain. He wants to play games with God and Moses. He wants to allow some to go to the wilderness to worship. But he wants to keep the women and children home as essentially hostages. What Pharaoh wanted is what many of us want as well. We want a way to give in to God without fully submitting to him. Sometimes we look for a way to sort of bargain with God as an equal like Pharaoh instead of submitting to him as creator and Lord. We're going to talk about this later, but God desires repentance and submission, not for us to play games. God doesn't desire parts of our lives. He can't be fooled. He can't be undermined. But He desires to be Lord of all our lives. But Pharaoh doesn't recognize this, and he will not submit. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt so the locusts swarm." over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything that is left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. So now the Lord God shows himself greater than the Egyptian God Seth, who is thought to be the protector of the crops. There remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field. God in his mercy does for Pharaoh what he will do in our lives as well. He will expose and topple every false god, every false idol, every false pursuit. And when we trust in these gods, it hurts to see them fall, but it is always best to have them exposed. It is always best to find and know God. Verse 16, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses left the Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. All right, let's stop here uh, and let's look uh, at these uh, these first two plagues of seven and eight. Throughout the plagues, we have talked about how God is exposing not only the false idols of Pharaoh, but he's also exposing our false idols as well. And in these two plagues, he wipes out the the livestock and the crops of all the Egyptians. And when God does that, he peels back the facade of security, of prosperity, and of wealth in the Egyptian land. You think about a rancher or a farmer today. Their wealth is not usually seen in their bank account, but their wealth rests in the field. It rests in the field with the crops or on the plains with the cattle. And in an instant here, God takes away the wealth, the security, the future prosperity away from the Egyptians, away from those that didn't heed his warnings and trust in him. And in the same way, God so often reveals in our lives that our wealth and our prosperity make a terrible God. Our wealth is a terrible place to find our happiness, our future and our security. Now, money in and of itself is not a bad thing, but when it becomes our God, when it becomes our primary source of happiness, when it becomes our security for the future, our chief pursuit, then it becomes disastrous in our lives. And so our first point is this, and that is that God is greater than the false idol of our security and our prosperity. And this is one of those that all of us in America are tempted to find our future and our security and our hope in. It is so easy, especially when times are good, to find our security, to trust our future to what is in the bank account, to what is in our IRA or our 401k, or in what our future earning potential is. But we all go through those times where this is challenged, where what we thought was solid becomes shaky ground. And those trials are times that God is calling us. He is revealing this to us, and He's calling us to find our trust, our hope, our security, our future, our eternity in Him and not in our wealth. Even today, there are many of us who felt much more confident in our retirement savings a year ago than we do today. I don't know about you, but the last time I had the courage to check, right, it was down like 20%. And for me, I've got some time before retirement, but for you, that could be significant, and it could have you stressing over your future or your retirement. Perhaps more than that, if you're like us, your gas and your grocery bill seems to have doubled this last year and all of a sudden that income you felt so confident in a year ago now is stretched as thin as those days you were in college or those early days out of high school or perhaps your job which seems secure is now not so much Or you've walked through that before for all of us we go through times when our security our future our how which so easily rest in dollars as opposed to God is challenged And if that is you right now, then don't be like Pharaoh and harden your heart, but repent and find your hope in God and not your wealth. Trust your future, your career, your wealth to Him instead of overmanaging and trying to solve the problem on your own. The Bible tells us that God can and will provide. The Bible tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that He has been the one that provided in the past, and He will be the one that provides in the future. Find your hope in God and not your earning or savings potential. And this one is is much like the false idol of health that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The Bible calls us to take care of our bodies, but when the physical becomes our security and our primary hope, then we have a problem. In the same way the Bible talks about finances and money a lot, and the Bible calls on us to manage our money well. The Bible says there's, nothing absolutely, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having savings for a rainy day. There's nothing wrong with investing for the future, for retirement. There's nothing wrong with making money or spending money and enjoying what God has given us. Money is not inherently evil, but it makes for an awful God. Throughout Scripture, God gives us wisdom on how to save, how to set aside, how to avoid debt, and also on how to give and keep our wealth in proper perspective. So real quickly, if this is something you find yourself struggling with, and I think if we're honest, this is most of us, but some practical things you can do is first recognize that you have a tendency to find your security, your hope, your happiness, your future, and your wealth. And if that's you, then ask God for forgiveness. From there, I would encourage you to just start reading the scriptures, especially Jesus' words on money and wealth. Did you know Jesus talks about money second to the kingdom of God? Because it's that tempting. It's that much of a struggle for us all. And so I would encourage you to, uh, secondly, uh, Jesus and the scriptures talk a lot about this, but I would encourage you to begin to find a giving outlet for your wealth, to help break down that stranglehold that wealth tends to have on our lives. Now, ideally, the Bible would call you to direct that towards a local church, but if you're not comfortable with that, I would encourage you to give towards a gospel-spreading missions organization. And then lastly, if you are serious about handling your money from a biblical perspective, both in the present and in the long term, uh, we've talked about this before, but I would encourage you to get involved with a Dave Ramsey financial peace class. And that's something you can sign up and do online. But if cost is an issue, uh, then let us know and we will help you cover the cost of that class. But if God has and he is revealing this as an idol, as a false God in your life, then take real practical steps this week to repent And turn that over to him. So God is revealing the false idol, the false hope and security that we often place in our wealth and our resources. The next thing I want us to see in these two plagues, and it is something we've seen throughout the plagues. But that is that God desires for real repentance and complete surrender. So point two is God desires genuine repentance and complete surrender. We've talked about this some throughout the passage, so we won't spend forever on it. But throughout the plagues, when the consequences, when the suffering comes, we see that Pharaoh seems to repent and feel sorrow. But every time when the pain stops, his heart is hardened towards God and he goes his own way. And we've said over and over in the message and in the series that this is our tendency as well. We so often hate the consequences of our sin so much more than the sin itself. Or we hate the struggles of this life. And we want God's help when the struggles come, when the struggles relent, we return to life as normal, where we are Lord as opposed to God. But that's not what God calls for and desires. He desires full surrender from us. Perhaps Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 uh, says this best. It reads, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to God and he will make your paths straight. The biblical idea of surrender is trusting God as opposed to ourself. It's trusting His ways even when they don't make sense to us. It's believing He will do what He says He will do even when it feels impossible. It's believing God's worth, His truth is true and not our own. Merriam-Webster defines surrender as this, to yield, power, to, yield to the power of another, Agreeing to give up battling another, or to give one up, oneself up to the power or influence of another. And surrender is a verb. It is an action that we have to choose. we have to choose daily. We choose to yield, agree, give up battling and give ourselves over to the influence and authority of God. But as we have said, the pull will always be toward the world and towards ourselves. But we can know and trust that God is better and His ways are best. So we must choose daily to yield our power and authority of all areas of our lives over to God. And we do that through prayer. We do this through following and trusting the wisdom of God as opposed to our own moment by moment. When the temptation comes to trust our wisdom over God's or, or when the new situation arises, we have to pause and consider God's wisdom and we choose to follow Him. Pharaoh was really good at saying the right words and repenting when things got hard. But his his heart was hard and he refused to relent and surrender his control and his ways for God's. He refused to trust God's wisdom and his ways over his own. And so for you, you may need to surrender and trust God for the first time. Or you may need to surrender an area of your life that you have held on to. Or you may just need to commit to surrendering moment by moment, day by day, morning by morning. But God doesn't just desire words of repentance. He desires genuine repentance and full surrender. All right, plague nine, verse 21. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so the darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. In this plague in quite a dramatic way God shows his greatness over the prominent Egyptian god Ra who was believed to be the sun, uh, the sun god or the god of light. And in this we see that God is light and he is greater than the darkness. That's our last point. God is light and he is greater than the darkness. And when we say God is light and he is greater than the darkness, I don't just mean physical light but also spiritual light as well. Here it says the darkness could be felt. And throughout the Bible and even throughout our culture, light represents all that is good and darkness represents evil. And over and over again, God uses this imagery to reveal his goodness and his power over evil and over sin. It's this same imagery that John uses in his gospel to first describe and introduce us to Jesus. He writes in John 1, 4, 4 through 5, in him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that verse, and I love that imagery. In Jesus is life, and his life is the light, the hope of all mankind. And his light shines into the darkness, into the evil, into the lostness of this world, and the darkness has not, and it will not overcome it. God is light in the darkness of the world. The evil of this world cannot and will not overcome it. If you are looking for hope, for a future, for good, then he is the source of it. And when you are in him, the evil will not overcome the light of Jesus. We see it here. Darkness covers the land, but in God and through God, his people walk in the light. And that light is the same image and same hope we have today. Although as Christians we live in and walk in this same dark world, we can have hope today and hope for the future because of the light and life we have through Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself walking in spiritual darkness, and I would urge you to gravitate towards the light. Don't dwell in the darkness. Don't continue to pursue and search in the darkness, but head towards the light of Jesus. If you're feeling the darkness, and instead of watching horror movies or hanging out on TikTok or gathering in places with people who participate in spiritually dark activities, instead seek Jesus. When you find yourself in darkness, you might not want to seek the light because of fear of what might be exposed. But in the light alone, in Jesus alone, hope and forgiveness exist. And You can practically seek the light by reading the Bible by coming to church, by spending time with family and friends who are walking with Jesus, by listening to music that proclaims God's truth. But seek light, seek hope, seek Jesus. In addition, this plague paints such a dramatic picture of the reality of our world today. While we walk in light, in hope, in the promise of a future as Christians, the rest of the world walks in darkness without hope. And the promise of eternity like we do. As you visualize this picture of Egypt in complete darkness. And the Israelites living in light. That's the image of the world today. And think about how much easier it is to live in the light. How much more hopeful. How much better. How much easier life is when you're walking in light. As you visualize that picture, I wanted to lead you to live with compassion for those in this world that do not know Jesus. And I wanted to lead you to share that hope, that light, to share Jesus with the world around you. As John said, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the only source of light, hope, and eternal life this world has. So share that light, share that hope with those around you. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus commanded you to live in this way. He said, you as Christians, as followers of him, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others and they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Your command, your responsibility as a Christian is not to condemn. It's not to complain. It's not to hate the people of the world. But your command is to shine your light and point others to the hope of Jesus. So this week, as you walk through the world and you get offended, you get frustrated, you shake your head at the world and the people around you, I want you to remember the darkness they walk in. Think about this imagery of of the rest of the world in darkness while you get to walk in the light. Remember the hopelessness the Bible says they walk in. And have compassion for them, pray for them, and shine your light before them. This week, when you feel yourself being frustrated at the world, I want to encourage you to pause and pray for the person or the people in general. Pray for their salvation and pray for opportunities to share. Because God is light and he is greater than the darkness. As Christians, we have hope because of Jesus. We have confidence because of the darkness. will not overcome the light that we have in him. And we have a responsibility to share our light, to share Jesus with those around us just a second, Melinda, she's going to come and she's going to play. And as she plays, I want us just to pause and to reflect on what God has taught us in Plagues 7 through 9. And I want us to consider what he is calling us to this week. And So there's a few places we could be. Maybe you are here and you have never surrendered your heart for the first time. Maybe you've played games with God. Maybe you've uh, been like Pharaoh and you've tried to, to repent until the consequences stopped and you've gone your own way. Maybe you, for the first time, need to surrender and follow after him. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and have been for a long time. You just need to return. You need to repent and return and surrender once again. Say, God, I want to follow you. I've gone my own way, but I want to return to you today. I want to trust your truth, your ways. I want to trust my family and my future to you. Or maybe there's a specific area that you need to turn and trust over to him, that you need to repent and turn to him. Whether it be your prosperity, your security, your future. Maybe you need to seek Him instead of darkness this week. Maybe you need to commit to sharing His light with those around you. So I'm going to pray for us. As, after I pray, Melinda's going to play just for a minute or two. And as she pray, plays, I would ask you to bow your head and to pray and ask God what it is He is calling you to. God, we thank you so much that you are good, that you are light, that you are trustworthy, that you are greater than our idols and the things of this world. And so, God, I pray in the next minute or two that you would just reveal yourself to us. God, that you would reveal where it is that you are calling us to trust you, where you are calling us to surrender fully and trust you. And God, I pray that you give us the courage to turn and follow after you because you are better than the things of this world. So, God, we love you. We thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you reveal our false pursuits. May we turn and trust you. It's your name we pray, amen. Lord. We again just thank you uh, for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you reveal your character and that you reveal uh, the false things we search for. God, may you help us to know that you are good and that you are greater than. And May we find our hope and our future in you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thank you once again for being here today. If you are uh, new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing the box on the back table, we would appreciate it. That's also, you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, And then a few announcements. We have uh, Kids Camp coming up on Casper Mountain July 11th to the 15th. Um, If you have questions about that or if you're still interested, come and talk to me. Uh, If you need a registration form, I have those for you as well. Uh, Same with uh, Youth Camp. Uh, If you have questions about that, come and see me. If you need a registration form, I will get that to you. Uh, We have Labarge VBS coming up this week. Please be praying uh, for those that are going and for the kids that will come. Uh, And then lastly, we have Vacation Bible School or VBS here at Living Hope Church, August 1st to the 4th. Uh, If you are interested in helping with that and haven't yet talked to uh, Melody, come see me or see her. Uh, And then we're going to have a VBS kind of planning meeting July 17th, which is a Sunday Uh, from six to seven, if you want to kind of put that on your uh, calendar. So I think that's all we have. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. You're dismissed.